If you have your Bibles, you can open them to the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2. Joel is a minor prophet. It follows the book of Hosea. Joel chapter 2. I was planning to teach tonight on the topic of fasting, uh, as I had promised you. And uh, this week, I, uh, for the past two weeks, I pulled a list of all the, the passages on fasting, and I began to look them up and just really meditate on them. And uh, the, the, my thought was I would teach on fasting tonight, and then I'd plan to teach a few weeks on communion. I still intend to do that. But as I was studying these verses on fasting, I came to this verse in Joel chapter 2, uh, verse 15. And, and, and as I was studying it, the Lord just began to download in my mind something that I had been seeking him about. And you might not think that's a big deal, but, uh, but, but I, for months... I had been asking the Lord to give me insight and wisdom and, and direction regarding the time that we're currently living in. I've been asking him to, he, he says he doesn't do anything without telling his servants, the prophets, what he's doing. And I, I'm really aware, I'm not a doomsday preacher, but I'm really aware that something is happening in the nation right now and in the world, I believe, as a whole, and I believe God is up to something. And I've been saying to him, Lord, you do nothing without telling your servants, the prophets, what you're doing. I want you to tell me. Can you give me insight? And, and Leslie and I pray together early in the morning every day, and one of the things I've been saying as we pray, I've been saying to him, you don't have to tell me, just prepare me. Prepare me so that I can prepare the people, Lord. And I, that's the prayer that I've been praying for, I don't know, Leslie, months. Um, and, and so as I began to study Joel chapter 2, I, I realized that, that, that God was doing, he was honoring that request and he was, he was just pulling back the curtain and he was showing me things that I haven't seen before and, because I feel strongly, I'm just going to tell you, I, I feel strongly that in the future, the near future, maybe not tomorrow, maybe years but the Lord has impressed upon my heart that it won't be long. That the Lord is going to do something in this nation and in the world as a whole. And I believe that the world, and don't quote me on this, I'm just saying it's an impression I have, that we're going to endure a trial of such great magnitude that even the complacent and the, the, and the apostate will be forced to re-examine their view of God. They'll be forced to come, to, to come in contact and, and, and encounter his supernatural power in a way that will either change them or they will just drift away. But something is going to happen. I believe it with all of my heart. And as I read through the book of Joel, I felt like God was honoring that request and that he was granting me insight and wisdom that I had been so diligently seeking. And at the same time, he was exhorting me to sound the alarm to those who are willing to hear. And so that's what I want to share with you tonight. I want to share just a portion of what I felt like he's shown me in Joel chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, Joel chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. Joel chapter 2, 12 through 17. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Cross, consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord 
Weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nations should rule over them. Who should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach from among the nations. So much that I want to say to you tonight. There, the, the, before I can even elaborate on those few verses, I want to give you a bit of background on the book of Joel. The, the, the name Joel means the Lord is God. We don't know much about the prophet Joel, except that he was the son of Pethuthel, and, and, and we don't know much about his father. We, we know that that name means vision of God or enlarged of God, and, and we know from verse 1 in chapter 1 that Joel the prophet was a recipient of the message of God. A prophet, uh, it was, was uh, a spokesman for God. It, it was someone that God would, a person God would use to speak for him. And so we know from the first verse in, in chapter 1 that Joel had received a message from God and that this message in the book of Joel were not, it was not Joel's words, it was a message from the very mouth of God. I believe we don't know much about Joel because God didn't want us to focus on the prophet. He wanted us to focus on the message. We know that Joel was a prophet from Judah. God had called him to deliver a message of warning and repentance to be his spokesman. He prophesied during a time of great uh, devastation in Judah. By the time that Joel was called to minister in Judah, the southern kingdom had been in a state of disarray and decline for many years, both economically and spiritually. And Joel was sent to God, as all prophets were, to get the people's attention. In fact, Joel 2, 1, 2 verse says that, that, that what had happened and what the land was going through at that time, nothing had ever happened like that and to that degree before and that it would never probably happen again and that it was so important that Joel said, you're going to tell your children and your children's children and their children all about this. It's going to be something that gets talked about forever because it was so bad. Uh, and we know from chapter 1 uh, that, that a locust invasion had come against the land. It had attacked the land like a ravaging army, and it had stripped the land of everything, of all vegetation. It had destroyed the livestock and the crops. And we know that Moses talked about uh, uh, um, locusts it, it, when he talked to the Israelites and he said in Deuteronomy that if you disobey God he's going to send locusts and they're going to come and strip your land and it was a picture of judgment the locusts coming upon the land and so the fact that Joel is ministering see some commentators will say that, that this was an actual occurrence that that it had really happened that 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 locusts had come and absolutely stripped the land of all vegetation of all livestock of all everything oil fruit everything had been stripped and we know that it took place for a number of years because there are several different types of locusts that are mentioned in chapter 1. And most commentators believe that, that it was a picture of, of the different stages of the locusts over a period of years. Later on in chapter 2, a, a scripture that you're all familiar with that he says, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Remember that scripture? It's in reference to this. He's saying years, plural. And so uh, it, what, what commentators believe is this locust invasion had lasted probably four years. And it was devastating. If you've ever seen or read anything about a locust invasion, the crops are just eaten down to the ground. The livestock had nothing to feed on. This was at a time where there wasn't a grocery store down the street or it wasn't tractor-trailer trucks that could bring food in from another state or another area. They had to grow what they ate. 
And so there was no food. There was no wine. There, there was nothing to offer for a sacrifice to the Lord. There was nothing to feed the livestock with the, so the livestock would have died. It was a picture of devastation and great disaster. Some commentators say it was actual. It had taken place. And that Joel was using that as an example to say to the people, if you think that was bad, <laughs> I suggest you turn now. He was calling people back to a place of repentance and saying this happened as a judgment for your sin and that you need to turn back to the Lord before something worse takes place. And he was using the, this, this place, this, this invasion of locusts, this disaster that was taking place in the land to say, you endured this, you're talking about it to your children and your children's children. It's something that's going to be a part of your life forever and talked about forever because it was so disastrous. But let me just tell you this, it is nothing compared to the day of the Lord. And he was using that to get the attention of, of the people. That's some commentators say that. Other commentators say, and, and I, I, I think this is probably where I would tend to go, is that, that Joel got a vision. Remember, this is Joel who says your young men will, will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And prophetic words came most often in that time in the form of a dream or a vision. And, and so Joel got this word from the Lord probably in a dream or a vision. And commentators say that he probably saw warfare, helicopters, tanks, armies invading the land. Remember, it was a prophecy that was coming about years later, many thousands probably, hundreds of years later. And because Joel did not have any concept of a helicopter or a tank or, or an army, <laughs> He, he knew chariots and horses, that he did the best he could. And maybe what he saw in his mind or in his dream was a helicopter, a Black Hawk helicopter, for example. What does that look like if you saw a sky full of Black Hawk helicopters? What would that look like? Locusts. And so he used the only word he could use to describe it to the people, that there had been an invasion of, of helicopters and army tanks, and it devastated the earth, and it devastated all of the food sources, and it brought the people to a place of great destruction and devastation. And it was in that that he said, Turn and repent of your sins. Repent and turn back to the Lord. Turn back. He says, blow the trumpet. <laughs> Trumpets in that time, chauffeurs, they, they, were, they, they did one of two things. They, there, there was a watchman on the wall, and he would have a trumpet, and he would watch for an invasion from an enemy. He would watch for something dangerous to come, and he would be that watchman on the wall, and when he saw it coming, he would sound the trumpet, he would sound the shofar, and it would be a warning, an alarm to call the people because there was danger approaching. God said, sound the trumpet. Danger is approaching. Danger is approaching. Sound the trumpet. Tell the people, this is coming. Turn back to God. Turn back to God. Repent and turn back to God. And perhaps he'll relent. Notice it wasn't a soldier sounding the alarm. The one that was told to sound the alarm in Joel chapter 2 was the priest. The pulpit. Jesus, bring our pulpits back to the Lord. 
where we're not concerned about building a congregation of people and adding to our numbers daily, but we are concerned about preaching an unadulterated gospel that will not be compromised to earn your seat in that pew. Come back on Sunday and we'll tickle your ears and we'll tell you a little bit more that'll make you feel good. Just please drop your money in the offering plate so we can build a bigger and a better church. Repent, repent, turn back to God. Because I'm telling you, I believe it with every ounce of my being. I can't tell you how I know, but I know that something is coming. Something is coming. And it's a magnitude that we are not ready for. And unless this church, unless these people are prepared for what's coming. We'll be taken out with it. Do you understand that? We need to ready our people. That's why fast forward to Joel chapter 2. At the end of the chapter, he says, I will pour out my spirit on your, on your sons and your daughters, and they're going to prophesy, and they're going to dream dreams and, and see visions. And, and then fast forward 800 years into the book of Acts. Remember when they said, this is what Joel was talking about. When he said, there's going to be the spirit is going to be poured out on your people. What Joel was saying is, we, the church, is now armed and dangerous. And we get to prophesy into a ravaged land, just like Joel got to prophesy into a ravaged land. And said, here is the warning. I'm sounding the trumpet. Repent and turn Back to your God. Render your hearts and not your garments. And we are the church. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We get to prophesy and be the mouthpiece for the Lord to call people back into a place of repentance, back into a place of returning to God. Rendering our hearts and not our garments. We love that scripture. Oh, we say to people, our sons and our daughters are going to prophesy and, and we're going to see visions and dream dreams. Let's keep the thing in context. I'm going to pour out my spirit and that spirit is poured out for a purpose to equip us. We are saved by grace. Yes, but we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk out in obedience God's word. And we have got to stop living that cheap grace that says, I'm saved by grace. I can live however I want. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus loves you so much. Now go live however you want. Spit in God's face if you want. Have fun, praise the Lord. This is a fun church. We have fun here. We are saved by grace for a purpose. The Bible says you've been graced for obedience. Do you understand that you've been graced for obedience? For obedience. Lord, help me. So Joel saw this, this vision, and, and he's prophesying to the people, and, and he calls them back. He says, therefore, says, now says the Lord, now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart. The Lord is after all of our heart. He says, with fasting and, and with weeping, don't rush over those words. He, he says, the now, therefore, says the Lord, these are the very words of God. These are not the words of Joel. It's a command from God, a loving God who's patient towards us, not wishing for any of us to perish, but that all would come to repentance. He says, turn to me with all of your heart. Return from what? Their affections and their attentions had waned. Their energies had gone after other things rather than God. And they're being called to turn back, to return to him. They had turned away at some point and he was calling them 
back to himself in repentance, to turn from their divided alliance back to faithful devotion to him. Notice the place of turning is the heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Psalm 51 says, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it to you. You're not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. The heart is the, the site of deliberation and commitment. Turning to God with one's whole heart, therefore, involves a turning of your mind, of your emotions. It's reconsidering one's actions and, and orienting oneself entirely towards God, one author writes. The heart is the, the, the place we love. It's the place of devotion. He's calling us back to himself with an undivided heart. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave this God I love. We are prone to wonder. We tend to wonder, and God is calling us back to him. We tend to go after those things that promise life, yet bring death. So we are continually returning to him. Revelation 2, 4 through 5 says, Yet this all I hold against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did before. That word return in Hebrew literally means to turn around, to change one's direction, to return to God. Notice he says, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. I, I just want you to know all of those things can be faked. Fasting, weeping, mourning. They can all be faked externally. That's why in the next verse, he's going to talk to us about the heart. You, you, you see, the, 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 the heart is deceitful above all things. He says, I want you to rend your heart and not your garments. You see, outward religion, outward external religion, outward external emotion is almost always hypocritical at best. But God wants us to turn to him with all of our heart. He wants our heart. He's after our heart, our mind, our will, our emotions, the place of our affections. He wants, the, he wants all of our heart. A heart that's set on him. He wants an undivided heart. Not a heart that, 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 that wants to be here and doing this fun stuff and over here and doing this fun stuff and giving some of it to this party lifestyle over here and then on Sunday morning I'm coming to the Lord. He wants all my heart. Return to me with all of your heart. And then he goes on to say, rend your heart and not your garments. <laughs> Rend your heart and not your garments. That word rend means to feel sorrow, um, to, to mourn. Dave was at a mobster funeral one time. Um, it was his dad, this, this fellow had attended Elmbrook, and he was big in the mob, and he died. And Stuart went to Dave and said, Dave, could you just, I, I'm going to be out of town for the funeral. Could you go to this funeral and, and just pay the respects for the family? And and Dave went, and he said it was interesting that all these men were dressed in expensive, you know, very fancy suits. And they were all mourning the loss of this gentleman. And, and at one point in the service, they all reached up and they took the pocket of these very, very expensive suits, and they ripped the pocket. They rendered the garment. And in that culture, it was a picture of expressing sorrow or great grief for the passing of their friend. And, and as I was studying this passage this week, I couldn't help but think about that story because in, in, in Joel's time, that was a, common, it was a common custom where when you were mourning, you would rip the garment. And, and the commentators I read said the place of ripping would always be over the heart. And it was a picture of, see, I'm exposing my heart. My heart is full of grief. My my heart is full of mourning. Are you with me? And you see, that's an outward show. All of those guys at that mob funeral, they had the fancy suits, but they, they, what I read is they would, they would rip out the stitching at just a perfect spot so that when they ripped the pocket, it wouldn't rip the suit. It would just rip the pocket. So put on a good show, but guess what they did after they left the funeral? Stitched that baby right back up there. Nobody knew the difference. 
no harm, no foul. You with me? It was a good show. Friend, your heart, not your garment. I'm not interested in outward show. I'm not interested in you coming to prayer with me and just saying, oh, Lord, please forgive me. I'm so sorry that I did that. That was a careless word. Will you forgive me? And I'm so sorry. I'm not interested in an outward external show. I want your heart to be changed. I want your heart to be affected. I'm in a place right now where I'm dealing with some stuff. Anybody besides me dealing with some stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with some stuff in my life. Somebody hurt me pretty badly pretty badly and I I can do pretty well sometimes but then it like hits me like a ton of bricks when I look at this person I'm like I don't even think I like you I don't I don't even think I like you don't even think I like you but I love you and I'm gonna be sweet to you and I can be kind to you outward rending my garment you see clothe yourself with what compassion mercy kindness that's my garment I'm wearing. How you doing? I love you so much. You're so sweet. How can I serve you? And the inside, I'm thinking, I don't even like you. Because you hurt me. And I don't even know if I want to forgive you. But how can I serve you? And I don't put on a smile. But inside, my heart is bitter and angry, and keeping a record of wrongs. But I'm rendering my garment. Lord, I know you want me to be compassionate. I know you want me to be kind. I know you want me to be forgiving. Rip that garment, because I'm rendering my garment. God says, Ray, I'm not interested. And the way here tonight, I was like, Lord, can we just talk about this? I just need to talk about this before I'm ticked. And I, I hate this person that I am, and I, I don't want to keep a record of wrongs, and I don't want to be angry, and I, I, I don't want to just be kind because you tell me to. I want to actually feel it in my heart that I'm ticked, and I just want you to know that that hurt, and I can't forget it, and I can't believe you want me to forget it. I'll be nice. But inside, my heart is still mad. My heart is still hurt. And he said to me, Rhea, what I've been teaching you, you're just giving me your garment. And you're saying, I got impatient again, Lord. I said a careless word again, Lord. I'm holding on to unforgiveness again, Lord. And you come to me with your rendered garment and you say it's messed up again. Could you just fix it? And, and, and I'm saying, no, I want your heart. I'm after your heart, Rhea. I'm after your heart. I want your heart rendered. I want your heart to come before me. And you say you hate that thing so much, and you're going to give me your heart, not just your garment. You're not just going to put on a new Christian thing on the outside. You're going to let me deal with that heart. He says, return to me. That word return is very interesting. It's... Um, it means to go back, to return, and it's a, an aorist imperative with a sense of urgency. It, it's a command uh, to do it and do it now. Rhea, get, give me this thing now. Return to me now. Do it and do it now. I got this dress. Because you see, repentance is costly. Do you know that it's costly? This thing that I'm dealing with right now in my heart costly. It's costing me something because if I give this thing up that person goes free. That's costly to me. I'm the one that got hurt. Bad. They get to go free? That's costly. You want me to love in the face of such injustice? That's not fair. That's costly. Repentance is costly. Doing what God tells us to do is always costly. So, I got this dress. I really liked it. I liked the way it made me feel. Like, you know, when you get my age, things just shift. And so when you find something that makes you feel good, it's pretty much worth anything. Like, at my age, it is. 
it because it's rare to find something to make you feel good. And so I found it, and I really liked it. I tried it on for less, and she's like, yeah, you should get that. And, but I looked at the price tag, and I'm like, whoa, I can't afford to do that. But I wanted it because it made me feel good. And so after a while, I finally went back to the store, and I, I bought it. And when I rang it up, I was, oh, I don't have that kind of money to spend on that, and I shouldn't do it. And, but I got it. And they bagged it up, and I took it home, and I let it hang in my closet because I was like, not sure I really want to wear that because it's costly. It's pricely. It's, it's pricely. Is that even a word? <laughs> it's costly. So the day came that I was going to wear it. I was actually going to wear it on Christmas Eve. And so I took it out of the bag, and I didn't, you know, the price didn't hit me till I got the credit card bill and I had to pay it. It was easy till I, till I had to pay the bill, till I had to pay the price. But I thought, well, I liked the way it made me feel. And so Christmas Eve came, I put it on, and I was like, yeah, I like the way this feels. It covers up the right rolls. And... But then I got to church Christmas Eve. Now, I'd only had it on for about half hour. And everybody kept coming up to me, tapping me on the back. I had these fringes on it. And they'd be like, Rhea, you dropped a fringe. And then Rhea dropped a fringe. And then I looked down the aisle at church, and there were fringes the whole way down the aisle. And I'm like, this was expensive. And the thing is falling apart. And, and it, everybody's picking up after me. And I was like, I spent all this money and it wasn't even worth it. And now it looks terrible. And like there are big patches of holes on my dress. And I'm like, I can't even wear the thing. It's ugly. It, it makes me look terrible. And yet it was so costly. And so I was like, I, let, I took it home. I'd only had it on for maybe 45 minutes to an hour. And I hung it in my closet and I thought, what am I going to do? I spent a lot of money on that dress. Like, I had this picture, it was black. I was like, I'll do it all the funerals I do. I'll wear it to the funerals. It's a funeral dress. I, I justified how I could pay the money for this dress. And, and so I let it hang in my closet. The day after Christmas, I was like, oh, everybody's going to be returning things, and I'm going to have to wait in line. I'm not going to return it. I'll just let it just suck it up. It was just dumb, stupid move. We should never have done it. And then I was like, No. I'm returning that thing. And so I, backed, I bagged it up, and, um, and I took it into the store, and there's a friend of mine working, and she's like, Rhea, and I'm like, took it out of the bag, and fringes fell on the counter, and she's like, yikes, and I'm like, can you tell me about your return policy? And she's like, yeah, we'll take that back. And I'm like, you'll take it back? I already wore it. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, you'll give me all my money back? And she's like, everything, Rhea. And she said, this is defective. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Everybody was picking up after me. And she's like, no problem. And, and she took my credit card. She put the money back. And I was like, oh, score. Lord, you love me. I got all that money back. I got, they returned it. And I went to turn to go out to the store, and she's like, hey, Rhea. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, any chance you'd want this at a greatly reduced price? And I'm like, mm-mm. That thing is trouble. And she's like, and I, I start to walk away, and I'm like, how reduced? <laughs> and she's like, 50, 20, uh, 30? She said, would 32, if you wore it twice, $15 a, a a time would that work? And I'm like, I think I could make that work. Maybe I could get Karen Booth to stitch those fringes back on there, and I'm negotiating in my mind how this faulty garment could possibly be worth 30 bucks. And because I wanted to wear it, I felt good in it. So, guess who left the store with a dress that was falling apart? Hanging in my closet right now, and I'm thinking, what did I do? <laughs> it was just stupid. I can't believe I spent the money on that. 30 bucks is 30 bucks. And I'm, I'm working on this sermon. And that Lord's return. Return to me, Rhea. I got this great return policy. And that thing, the enemy, 
indulged you into buying and wearing. That ugly attitude, that disobedience that made you feel good for a moment that people were picking up after you the rest of the time because of it, that you drug through people's lives because it made you feel good. <laughs> it was so costly, cost you dearly. Rhea, return, return to me. I got a better return policy than anthropology. The second we return, the enemy says, hey, want to negotiate? How good did that make you feel? How about a greatly reduced price? Made you feel good, didn't it? To have that last word, to be unforgiving, to be disobedient, to indulge yourself, made you feel good. I know the Lord wants you to return, return that thing. Hey, let's negotiate. Let me make it worth your while. Can you just take it back? I know people are going to still be picking up after you, but it made you feel good for a while. He says, return to me. Rend your heart and not your garment. Don't put a showy, a showy external um, appearance. I want your heart. Return to me. Bring me that faulty garment. Clothe yourself with compassion and mercy and forgiveness and long-suffering. And repent of those things that you did before. It's interesting that the, the word rend, it's so interesting when he says rend your, your, your heart and not your garment. That word rend, it bothered me all week long. It meant to paint the eyes. And I'm like, rend, it means to tear, to rip. But it also meant to paint the eyes. And so I was like investigating, just I was sitting here just looking up the word. I felt like the Lord said, look up the word. And, and, and you remember in the Egyptian, who were they, Dave? The big, the big wigs, the pharaohs. You know how they had their eyes all painted? The men painted their eyes? That's what it means. Do you know why they painted their eyes? To make them appear larger and more glamorous than they were. When he says, rend your heart and not your garment, he was saying, you paint yourself to look more glamorous and larger spiritually than you are, and I'm not interested in that. I want your heart. I want a heart change. The whole way here, I'm saying to the Lord, Father, I hate, I hate this person that I am. I don't want to just do the right thing externally. I want to feel the right thing internally. And he said, Rhea, it's because you're just giving me your garment and you're not giving me your heart. I want you to tear your heart. I want your heart to feel the effects of your repentance, of what you're doing. Rend your heart, Rhea and not your garment. It's a heart issue. He says, return to the Lord your God. It means to go back. I told you it speaks of a sense of urgency. Take that thing back. Go back to him with the return. Don't negotiate with the enemy. He said, for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. God is looking for our loyalty, our allegiance. And he is gracious and he is merciful. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. I've been, I've been talking to the Lord all week about fasting because I, I really thought I was going to teach on fasting tonight. and I'm going to teach on it next week. But in, in Isaiah 58, the Lord says, is not this the fast that I've chosen for you? 
He says, you say you, you haven't eaten and you, you cover yourself with sackcloth and ashes and, and you say, you know, why are you not hearing from heaven? Why are you not changing and doing anything? Because look, I'm fasting. Look how great I am. And he said, but this is the fast I have, I have called for you. That, that you undo the chains of wickedness. That, that, that you let the oppressed go free. Here's what I want, how, what I want you to fast from. Wickedness. How about that one, Rhea? Leslie came over today to pray, and I said to her, I've been asking the Lord about our, our eating because we, we, we eat pretty healthily, and I'm like, Lord, what can I give up that I haven't already given up? And what can I, what can I do that would honor you, and I want to honor you in this fast? And the word fast means to cover the mouth, and so I've, I've always thought, Lord, I'm going to have to give up food, and yet I've given up food, and, and, and so what else can I give up for you? And and the Lord said, I want you to just cover your mouth. I want you to do away with wickedness. I want you to let the oppressed go free. I want you to stop punishing people that you want to see punished. I, I, I want to see you be kind with your words instead of just saying whatever you want to say. I want you to not be critical. I want you to not be judgmental. That's the fast I've chosen for you this time, Rhea. And it's different than the 21 years you've been doing it. It's going to look different this year, Rhea. The fast that I've chosen for you is to do away with some wickedness. To let the oppressed go free. To cover your mouth when you want to say something you know you shouldn't say. I said today, that's far more effective than giving up dessert, isn't it? It's far more pleasing to God than giving up dessert. He says, return to me. Return to me. Call a sacred fast and return to me. One last quote before we end. Um, John Piper says, if our hearts wander from this God, he will fight against us to bring us to repentance. I've seen it in my own life. If I begin to become proud and self-confident and prayer starts to feel unnecessary, God clogs my way. He brings me down. Things will go sour at home. Tensions arise at work. Sleep is not sweet. Depression builds. Everywhere I turn, there is no joy. He boxes me in and clogs my way. He fights against me and my pride, for he's a jealous God. He will have our hearts trust 100%. When it says in, 12, in 2 verse 12, return to me with all your heart, it's clear, isn't it? What he's fighting for is all our heart, not a piece on Sunday and a piece at mealtime or a piece at bedtime. If you are his, he will fight you until you give him all your heart, all, your time, all the time. I, um, this message has just been alive in me all week long. I couldn't wait to preach it. And I fear that I've done a poor job teaching it and bringing it all together because I started out telling you how I had been seeking the Lord because I really do believe, and I do believe it, that we are going to experience something. I'll go so far. Um, I feel like I can't. I was going to give you a time frame, but... I feel like the Lord has spoken in my heart about a time frame. I've told a few select people about it. I've written it down so I can say when it happens, the Lord told me that. That's how convinced I am that something is coming. And it's not something that's going to destroy us. It's something that's meant to bring us back to the Lord. This nation, I don't believe, can continue to go at the pace it's going spitting in the face of God, defying him and his, and his word, and, and continue to thrive. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and come and heal their land. This land needs healed. And it is going to take the church rising up not rising up in, uh, you know, this Sunday morning, check it off my list, but rising up out of complacency, out of lethargy, and saying, we will stand in the gap. We will start 
returning to the Lord. We will start seeking him with all of our heart. We will start rendering our hearts and not just our garments. We will start seeking him with all, with all of our heart. We will give him our all. And I believe when the church gets to that place, we will be in a position where, where we will be an army that God will use in that time. That's what I'm convinced I, that is needed. I, I really am. And so I, I got sidetracked with this message, but that's really the message that I wanted to tell you. Because what I see, Joel, is coming in a, in a time where the land has been devastated, where God allowed locusts, whether they were actual or metaphorical, he allowed the land to be devastated. He allowed the land to be stripped. And it was in that place that he got the people's attention and said, now here's the solution. Return to me. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to me in repentance. Give me all of your heart. And in that place, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will restore the years the locusts have, have, have eaten in your life. I will bring prosperity and abundance back to my people. But there has to be a returning. There has to be a returning. And, and church, I, I, I'm just going to tell you, I know a lot of preachers who, who are preaching a lot of things. And it doesn't make me popular. I said to Dave, I don't want to preach this because people will be like, she's one of those preachers. I'm not. I'm telling you, this is what the word of the Lord says, the word of God says. I'm preaching the word of the Lord. This is a minor prophet. And we, we have to begin to take God's word seriously. Somebody I love dearly, um, her husband left her this week. I've talked to him numerous times, spoken hard, hard truth to him, and he would relent and come back, and relent and come back. And this time he didn't want to speak to me. And my heart hurts so badly because... I want to say to him where you're going, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be satisfied. You can't spit in God's face and just get away with it. You, you can't return to God, return to him. He thinks I'm bizarre. He thinks I'm way over the top. He's bound and determined to do what he wants to do, no matter who it hurts and no matter who has to pick up after him with the fringes. I so want to shake him. I so want to get his attention. But I think there comes a time where we harden our hearts so much. Where God calls us back and calls us back and calls us back. And there comes a point where we rend our garment and we say all the right spiritual things and we go through all the right spiritual motions, but it never affects our heart. And eventually he says, I'm just going to turn them over to the hardness of their heart. Don't let that be you tonight. I really believe he's calling his people back to himself to a place of repentance, to a place of turning. Yes, you are saved by grace. Please don't send me a letter and say, you don't, you preach repentance and we're saved by grace and, and, and that grace reaches back and it reaches forward. Yes, it does. But John himself says in John 1, 9, <laughs> if we, he's including himself, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's including himself a believer in that scripture. I don't know how we have so fallen for this grace message that is so messed up and so warped and so misleading. But it's because hypergrace, Dave says, it's because we want to feel good. We want to wear the garment that makes us feel good and forget who has to pick up after us. Forget how costly it was. And God says, come on, just return to me. I got a great return policy. Just come. Come just as you are. Bring the faulty garment and give me your heart. 
And let's work on that. I'm going to ask Connor and Mari and Kathy to come and just close this out in the song. But you can't hear a message like this and not have a time of response to it. And as they sing, I just want you to do some business with the Lord and just ask him. I'm telling you, I did business with him on the way here. It's really easy. Th those mobsters were masters at external rendering garments, at external grief, external sorrow. can fast, we can mourn, we can pray, we can do all the external stuff. But if we never let him have access to our heart, if we never let what we did tear our heart, the way we acted tear our heart, it's just external religion. Lord, we give you our hearts. We give you our soul. We want to be laid down lovers of yours. We're done with hypocrisy. With the fraudulent external religion that doesn't truly change us and transform us. Lord, would you meet us in this place tonight and would you truly radically change us? Would you truly transform us, Lord God? We're stripping off every garment, Father that's defective. Every garment, Lord, that, that causes people to clean up after us. And, and, and Lord, every external, Lord, every external uh, faulty garment of, uh, of pride, of arrogance, of careless, unkind words, of, uh, oh, Lord, of impatience, of keeping a record of wrongs. Refusing to forgive, Lord God. coming back. We're returning them to you, Lord. Thank you for your return policy that meets us with grace and mercy. That relents, Lord God, of giving us what we deserve and instead gives us what we don't deserve. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for your long-suffering. But Lord, we want to be more like you. We want our heart to break over what breaks your heart, Lord. Would you do that in us tonight, Lord, I pray. Father, I pray that this word would penetrate penetrate hearts, penetrate minds. Lord, Joel prophesied about the day of the Lord. The day when you return and each one of us will have to give an account to Lord God. He said the devastation of locusts, nothing compared to that day. Lord, give us revelation. Give us understanding. Give us insight and wisdom, Father. Help us, Lord, to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name.